Welcome to the Crop Insurance Podcast, the podcast where we dive deep into the world of crop insurance. I'm your host, Mike Rydell, third generation crop insurance agent, and I'm thrilled to have you join me on this educational journey. At our family owned and operated business, we've been providing crop insurance expertise for generations. Our goal here is simple, to educate our listeners. Crop insurance can be complex and overwhelming, but I believe that understanding it is crucial for every farmer. So whether you're a seasoned farmer looking to stay updated or a newcomer seeking guidance, this podcast is for you. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about some of the gotchas in crop insurance. And when I say gotchas, I'm not saying that crop insurance is out to get you, like some people may or may not think it is. Uh, But there are some simple things that you can do to prevent having to repay a loss, having an indemnity decreased due to some of the rules that may have been broken or a setup on your policy that may be incorrect. There are several things that can happen with your crop insurance policy that you need to be very careful of that are incredibly basic, simple things to look at. Uh, And I just wanted to go over a couple of those items with you today. One of the first things to look at, which seems fairly obvious, is the name insured on your crop insurance policy. So what is the entity name that the policy is under and the entity type? So if you have a partnership, you need to make sure that the entity type is a partnership and not a corporation or vice versa. If it's an LLC, an LLP, a sole proprietor, an individual, spousal, anything like that, that entity type is very important. So when it comes to entities, you just want to make sure that the entity name is correct and that the entity type is correct. The other thing you need to look out for is the tax ID number. So if it's an individual, it's going to be under your social security number. If it's a business, it'll be under your EIN. All of these things need to be accurate at sales closing. Otherwise, you will have a problem when it comes to lost time. One of the questions we get asked uh, somewhat frequently is what entity do you put on the paperwork? Well, however you file your paperwork with the FSA, that's how you're going to want to file it on your federal crop. Those two programs need to line up. And there could be a circumstance or you might have some setup that's unique that I've never encountered. So you need to make sure that you're speaking with your crop insurance agent to make sure that you're set up correctly from the start. Another side to the entity setup are your significant business interests, otherwise known as SBIs. If you have a 10% interest or more in an entity, you need to be listed. On that form, you're going to list the names, addresses, phone numbers, tax ID numbers as well. And again, this is all something that needs to line up with your FSA paperwork and have all of those entities correctly identified on your paperwork with your federal crop insurance policy. The issue you're going to run into if you don't is your loss can either be denied because it's not set up correctly with the right entity Or if you're missing some of your SBIs, they could reduce your loss by the percentage that those SBIs should have been listed on. Because again, this is all tracked back to the federal government as it's a federal program. So you need to have that type of paperwork set up correctly from the start. Another part of the setup that's very important is to have your address and phone numbers correct so that your agent and or adjuster can get a hold of you. 
I know a lot of people don't like to give out email addresses, but this is something that can speed up the loss adjustment process. If there's some paperwork that needs to be sent out, uh, depending on your carrier that you're dealing with. And so you want to make sure you have all that set up correctly as well. One of the things that we run into is with loss payments. So when you do get a loss payment, a lot of the crop insurance carriers allow for ACH deposits. So they can do a one direction deposit. They're not taking money out of your account, but they can put the money into your account whenever you might have a federal crop loss. Now this is super helpful because this speeds up the time you get your money after the loss is settled. It can sometimes take seven to 10 business days if they have to mail a check. And if you do the ACH deposit, it can sometimes go in overnight once the loss is processed and finalized by your insurance carrier. And speaking of payments, or the other important part of crop insurance is the bill. Now, when you do have a loss payment coming, you can elect to have the premium deducted from your loss. So if your loss is large enough, it could pay the premium and then they owe you the difference. And other times, the loss might not be enough to pay your entire premium, so you could owe a premium, or you might not have a loss at all, so you're going to owe the full premium. When looking at your bill for your federal crop policy, pay attention to the termination date. So this is the absolute last day that your crop insurance company can receive your payment for your premium, and if they do not, you'll get on the ITS list or the ineligible tracking system, which means you won't be eligible for crop insurance for the following crop year. Now, it's very important to note that this is a drop-dead date. They have to have your money by this date. In the old days, they used to accept the postmark date. So as long as you mailed out your payment by the debt termination deadline and it was postmarked by that date, you were fine. Well, those were the old days. They're now recommending that you want to have your payment in the crop insurance company's hands by the termination date. So given the way that it can take some time for the mail to get across the country, depending on where you're sending that check, because you're not sending it to your crop insurance agent, you're sending it to the crop insurance company, you're going to want to look at paying those premiums online. Now, a lot of different crop insurance companies will allow you to pay your bills online without even setting up an account just having a little QR code and they'll have a bill code that you can input into their system to pay. And we highly recommend that you pay those online or at least send your checks in well in advance of the termination deadline because once you cross that deadline, you will be ineligible for crop insurance for the following year. Now there are cases where they have gone into arbitration with federal crop to try to get that resolved. It's very rare that if they get the money after the termination date that you will be eligible for the next year. So make sure you get those payments in prior to the termination deadline. This is not a date that they are flexible with at all. So you need to make sure that money gets in there. And speaking of premiums, your premium is subsidized by the federal government if you are out of compliance with your conservation compliance, which is an FSA form AD 1026, 
you will be ineligible for a premium subsidy. We mostly see this when new entities are formed and they have not filed that paperwork with FSA or a landlord that normally was on a cash lease now is on a crop share. And so they now have to take out a federal crop policy and they've never filled out that paperwork before. There are steps you can take with your crop insurance agent using different forms with them to be compliant with this uh, conservation compliance but you're going to want to work with FSA and your crop insurance agent to make sure you get this accomplished otherwise you will be ineligible for the premium subsidy one of the other things we're finding on some of these policies is who the authorized signers are especially when it's a business if somebody has a power of attorney over another person and they're able to sign for them. And keep in mind with a something like a durable power of attorney, you can use those uh, to sign for other people in the paperwork depending on how that's set up with your attorneys. But there's also a power of attorney for crop insurance purposes only, where the, you and the person you're trying to sign for can fill them out together and you can have power of attorney to sign your crop insurance paperwork simply for crop insurance purposes and for nothing else. We find that's pretty helpful uh, for some landlords uh, where the operators filling out all the paperwork, reporting all the acres and helping them through the entire process for them to be able to sign off on some of this stuff uh, when it comes to losses and things like that, acreage reports, production reports. It can be helpful. It's, um, it's definitely not a necessity or a requirement. Uh, you can still sign your own paperwork. That's not a problem whatsoever. But there is the eligibility for the power of attorney for crop insurance purposes that's pretty helpful in some of those scenarios. A majority of the time when we see errors and issues that come up with different entity statuses or tax IDs or changes in SBIs or anything in that of that nature, it's when a producer makes these changes with their attorneys and their accountants and they don't involve their crop insurance agent in the process. It's very important that you do involve your crop insurance agent in any sort of entity changes because of timing there could be some pretty serious consequences to making those changes and having an insurable interest in the crop at what time it was seeded versus when the paperwork was filled out and the entity change occurred. You could end up without crop insurance. You could end up losing history on your operation. And at the end of the day, your history is probably one of the most valuable pieces of your crop insurance policy. And so you don't wanna do anything that could potentially jeopardize that. So you need to make sure your crop insurance agent is involved with those entity changes from the very beginning and not after the fact. From my family to yours, thank you very much for listening. I sincerely hope that this presentation has been instrumental in enhancing your understanding of federal crop insurance. If you find value in our podcast, we kindly encourage you to subscribe and spread the word among your friends and neighbors. To access further information, please visit our website at thecropinsurancepodcast.com where you'll find the latest podcast episodes, articles, and exciting new features can be located in one place. This information is not all-inclusive and is meant to be used only as general guidelines for educational purposes. 
For additional information, please see Crop Provisions, reference the Crop Insurance Handbook or Loss Adjustment Manual, or contact your crop insurance agent. This institution is an equal opportunity provider and employer.